Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket. I'm your host, Peter Dahl Pennant, and we're back after one week break. We had to take some time off to go cover the USA Under-19 Men's National Team Selection Trials and Camp out in Northern California. So that is the reason why there was no episode this past week. I've got a lot of arms and a lot of hands to do a lot of different tasks, but producing a podcast episode while taking photographs and doing some reporting on the ground was beyond my capability. But we're back for this week, and in a manner of sorts, we'll be sticking on the West Coast for our guest, John Reed, former USA National Team player. First, I want to welcome aboard another Patriot who signed up on Patreon to support the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast, Peter Steep. A great name, great first name in particular. Peter Steep, who has been around the world producing cricket broadcasts and directing behind the scenes on television in many, many places, heavily involved in the cricket community behind the scenes in the broadcast realm. And it's great to have Peter Steep as a supporter of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast. So thank you, Peter. And today's guest, John Reed, the first American-born player to represent USA in 50-over cricket at the 1979 ICC Trophy in England, and he was only 21 years old at the time. There was not another American-born player representing USA in one-day cricket until Amir Afsaluddin came along in the early 2000s, and he was the very first guest on the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast, and now we're making a bridge back to the start of USA's one-day cricket era, 1979. John Reed, Southern California boy, and he's got a lot to share about his cricket journey, including the greatest crime he committed on a cricket field, which should be amusing to many of you out there listening to this podcast and he'll tell that story before we start i just want to remind everybody that the stars and stripes cricket podcast presented by dream cricket is also sponsored by musa cricket stadium the first and original turf wicket facility in the state of texas located at 5515 mckeever road in Pearland, five miles off the bailey road exit from state route 288 just about a half hour south of downtown houston for more information call 713-534-2195 that's musa cricket stadium in Pearland, texas and now today's guest the first american-born player to represent USA in the one-day cricket era in 1979, the ICC Trophy in England, John Reed. Born in, in Southern California, you've lived there most of your life, uh, except for the time that you were playing cricket in England in your 20s. We'll, we'll get to that later. You spent quite a few years playing in county cricket on the second 11 scene in addition to playing for USA. How did you get into cricket? We know your dad was a former captain of USA, won the Audi Cup uh, against Canada in the 60s, and was also president of USAC. But was this something that was passed down to you from your dad's interests, or did you get into it another way through the the local Southern California cricket scene in the in the sixties and seventies. No, Peter, it's in my blood. Uh, I remember my dad bowling to me in the backyard when I was about eight years old, and he just wanted me to just to know how he, you know, the game of cricket. And he taught me how to play a cover drive, and I played it perfectly. And he told, I remember he brought my mom out, and he said, "You said, Doreen, look at this." He said, "This guy's got it." So I was in my blood. Uh, as a little boy, I was playing cricket before I was playing baseball and football. Uh, cricket was in the blood. You were born born in Southern California, and that's an interesting story in itself. So I remember talking to you a few years ago, one, one of my first interactions with you was that your dad was actually on his way to Australia. Your dad had played in Lancashire League cricket for a long time and was a, a very good cricketer back in his era. And he was looking to move abroad. He was on his way to Australia. And then on a stopover in Los Angeles, funny thing happened on the way to Australia, and 
He never made it there. <laughs> Tell us how, how you wanted to be born. He didn't. My mom's sister uh, married an American GI during the war. They lived in Glendale, California. So on the way to Australia, uh, they stopped off in California, and my dad fell in love with the place. And he found cricket. And he only told me if he didn't find cricket in Southern California, he would never have stayed. He couldn't escape it. Where, where your dad went, there was <laughs> he was going to find it one way or another. He loved Australian cricket. Even though he was a, a northerner from, from England, he... He played good cricket, uh, but he loved the Australians. He loved Americans. In the early part of the 20th century, you had the mainstay clubs like Hollywood Cricket Club and Britomer University Cricket Club, which you wound up playing for, University Cricket Club. A lot of these clubs founded and kept thriving by the Australians and British expats who were, were dominant members of the cricket scene at that point in time throughout the 40s, 50s, right. and 60s. And people like Tony Verity, the Severn family, and you had all these Australian and, and British actors in Hollywood through Hollywood Cricket Club. And you wound up playing for University Cricket Cricket Club, which is a powerhouse. A lot of people may not realize this, but it was quite a powerhouse in the 60s and 70s. And at one point in time, USA had as many as six or seven players playing for the USA national team who were all members of University Cricket Club at, yeah. at UCLA. People talk about regions being dominant in U.S. cricket and a region being New York-centric or West Coast-centric, depending on the administrators at that point in time, who's in control. But this wasn't region-centric. This was, this was club-centric. University Cricket Club was essentially the USA cricket team. You know, what was this playing standard and the strength of club cricket in Southern California when you were growing up? Because again, there was no under 19 cricket scene like there is nowadays. You, If you wanted to play cricket as a youngster, you had to be making it into the adult team. So what was that competitive standard like for you? Well, it, it was tough because my dad was originally with Pasadena Cricket Club. And I, when I was about 13, 14 years old, University could see my potential, and but Pasadena only had one club, and they invited me to play. My dad just told me to be patient, be patient, be patient. Do not go to university. But I, of course, on the phone, I, I joined. <laughs> Subsequently, my dad went over there like five years later because I was there. He wanted to watch me play and be part of me. So I originally started with Pasadena. University had a very good team. We had, there, there were superstar players there, like Don Weeks, who played for Barbados. They had a lot of Bayesian players at that time. There's a super good team, but they had two sides. I took that advantage. And I went up. And I, I've been loyal ever since. I've been there for 40 years. I'm still a university guy. One of the quirky facts that I've discovered, University Cricket Club. So again, University Cricket Club was UCLA Cricket Club, University of California, Los Angeles. It was the club team on campus. If you look at a map nowadays of the kind of sporting complexes around the, the athletic facilities at UCLA, you've got Drake Stadium, which is the running track, running facility, Pauley Pavilion, which is legendary for people outside of yeah. cricket who don't know Pauley Pavilion. You don't know basketball if you don't know Pauley Pavilion. Pauley Pavilion is the campus facility that was made famous by the UCLA basketball teams coached by John Wooden to 10 national championships yeah. through the 60s and 70s. And then there was Spalding Field. Now, literally, right next to Pauley Pavilion is Spalding Field. Nowadays, if you go to Spalding Field, it's actually been converted to a training field for the UCLA football team, the college football team. That's where they play their practices and their weekly training sessions outfield doing their practices and scrimmages before they play at the Rose Bowl 
They play at the Rose Bowl as their main stadium facility during the Saturdays in the fall. But Spalding Field, back in the 60s, was a cricket field. So what was it like yeah. kind of being part of the epicenter of campus culture and sports culture on campus, being there as a cricket field, playing cricket with all these star athletes all around you? We, you know, I saw Will Chamberlain once, who was a star athlete, um, going into Poly Pavilion to play uh, squash or racquetball. And he was big. He was a big, big man. But there were a lot of athletes there. We did see them. But we were in the middle of an epicenter where uh, we just sort of took over the ground and it was just cricket. And it was a beautiful wicket. It was as nice as Woodley is today. It was a really lovely wicket. They played the USA Canada game there once i believe so it was a lovely ground uh, we had problems keeping people off the pitch because the students who went to you know they didn't know what cricket was so they went to walk sort of through you know the match and it was fantastic it was just um wonderful experience being there and playing there and being part of that environment you mentioned will chamberlain was it was there any other famous athlete sightings where you were craning your head as as the bowlers running in and you're busy being distracted Not- by somebody else and you're getting bowled not, not at UCLA. At Woodley, yes. But at UCLA, I remember Will Chamberlain. He was a huge man, and he was so gentle and nice to, to me. But he was a very, very big man. I remember that. Pleasure to, to meet him. That was, that was awesome. So you're playing for University Cricket Club in the late 70s. The ICC is organizing the first ICC trophy again, what we know nowadays is the World Cup qualifier. You're 21. Your friend, Neil Ashkari, is in the team, 20-year-old. His dad, Neil Ashkari, is captain of the team. Your dad is the president uh, involved in, in selection. Did you have a good idea that you were going to make the team, being that Southern California cricket was so strong at that point in time? Or what was the process like in terms of competing for a spot? The competition was different back then. We had back then we had uh, four zones, and you would go back and we'd play each zone. To be honest with you, my dad more he had more hands on. He knew what he wanted, and he selected Neil Ashkari as captain, and he he went to each zone and watched the leagues. And I think my dad had more hands on that any president probably ever had, and he could pick who he wanted, and he picked a lot of his team. At that point, at, for the 79 World Cup team, he went out there and he looked at everybody. He wanted to win and he wanted to put USA on the map. He was very, very determined to do that. And you go off to the 79 ICC trophy. People may be shocked to hear this, but USA was competing in that tournament against not just Israel, not just Wales, but Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka, who wound up winning the tournament, at that time was an associate member, and Sri Lanka beat USA by six wickets. You opened the batting against Sri Lanka, and the second match that USA played scored 31. There weren't a lot of people who made runs that day. You top scored with 31, you opened with Anil Ashkari, and the only other two guys who made really decent scores were Cameron Khan and Wayne Stuger. He's got an interesting backstory as well. Wayne Stuger is Guyanese, but Stuger is a German name, and I, I was talking to uh, some of his relatives. He's passed away, but his roots are He's got Dutch-German roots. His his ancestry is from uh, Germany and, and Netherlands. And uh, I think his grandfather, his great-grandfather, migrated to Suriname, met his wife, who was Guyanese, when, when he was working in Suriname. And then they migrated back to Guyana before his uh, son and then grandson, Wayne, Stuger, so Wayne and Wayne's middle name Bernard is, is spelled the German way to honor his Dutch German roots. 
but that, that tells us again a, a little bit of just a little nugget of USA national team history. But Wayne Stuger is in the team, top batsman who was from based out of New York. He, Wayne Stuger was a very good batsman. He the, he had a great eye. Hit the ball very 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 hard. In the '79 uh, World Cup, the conditions were really wet. They were really substandard by English conditions. And to have a guy like that come out there, it was it was tough to, to anchor down. But to watch Wayne go to school, he he really could bat. He hit the ball hard, and I was amazed how hard he hit the ball with those soft conditions too. Slugger, Slugger Stuger, that was his nickname, Wayne Slugger Stuger. And then Cameron Kahn, Cameron Kahn out of Philadelphia. Cameron Kahn's a great, he's a fantastic player, first-class player. He was, he, I don't know if he played first-class cricket, but he was fantastic. He was a good player. Oh, he did. He, he played uh, first-class cricket in Pakistan, in Pakistan universities before coming to the U.S. And he, I remember talking to him. He played against Richie Benoit and played against some other players who toured Pakistan back in the 60s before he, he came to the U.S. He came to the U.S. actually on a scholarship to go to Villanova for graduate school and never left. Again, there's there's some interesting backstories to a lot of these guys, and, and you've got one as well. You top scored with, with <laughs> or, you made you made 31 in this match. Uh, I thought I made more than that. No. I think you're underscoring me. Oh, oh, these matches always seem seem better, seem in, in greater in the memory at times. In that game, the pace bowlers I had no problems with. I I just carved them up, but they put the spinners on De Silva's. The two the seven brothers, they were lake spinners, and that really tied me down. And then I yeah, I got I finally got out. Somachandra De Silva and Stanley De Silva, the two De Silvas you're talking about. And interesting story there, Somachandra De Silva, his he is the father of somebody who later played for USA. Naroshan De Silva, Naroche De Silva is, is is what he's known as. Naroche De Silva played briefly for the USA and his father played cricket for Sri Lanka. Uh, against the USA, and he went on to play test cricket when Sri Lanka actually got test status. And some other names on that scorecard that stand out and and uh, be impressed by Bandula Warnapura, Roy Dias. Roy Dias uh, ended unbeaten, 76 not out in that game, six-wicket win for Sri Lanka. And then Dulit Mendes. Everybody knows Dulit Mendes now in U.S. cricket as the head coach of Oman on the opposite side of the field to USA. But Dulit Mendes had a distinguished career as a player and came up against USA. When you get to that tournament, what, what did you know about some of these teams? Because this is the first-time ever event it was being held, referred to sometimes as the Associate Cricket World Cup. The team that was going to win was going to qualify for the World Cup, which Sri Lanka did. But did you feel like you were on the same plane as the Sri Lanka and some of these teams, or or was there quite disparity in some of the terms of some of the talent? No, no, no. Sri Lanka. Well, the thing in our division, well, Canada went through in the other division. There were two teams that went through into the uh, into the World Cup. Canada went through. They played in in the World Cup in the other division. In our division. Sri Lanka was by far the best team. There, we, were, we weren't on the same level with them. But what was irritating to my dad, who put the team together, was that a lot of these teams, and we almost beat them. We almost beat Sri Lanka. We only lost by a run rate. We had the same record as them. But what the ICC was upset about, uh, Sri Lanka wouldn't play um, Israel. We had them by the ropes. We should have beaten them. They had one guy in the middle order that really they, they put it to us. We had great bowling. Uh, we had Sri Nagesh, Asif Khan, and guys that were just getting these top guys out. But they had one batsman, I remember, who 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 finished the deal. So they we were equal with them, but they had a better run rate, so they got through. And rightfully so. They were they were a better side. 
42 years later and people are having issues with Israel on political grounds, so some things never change in, in the world of global politics. You know, Peter, I hate that. You know, they were probably the weakest side in our in our division, but for our teams in our division not to play them upset me. And there are guys on our bus that wouldn't go in the bus. They wouldn't go to that game. It was sad. Well, what happened was, yeah, so Sri Lanka, you said Sri Lanka, Wales, and the United States were equal on points. Both teams had, all three teams had two wins. Yeah, so USA lost to Sri Lanka. That was USA's loss. Sri Lanka almost failed to qualify, like you said, because Israel was awarded the victory in a walkover because Sri Lanka refused to play Israel on political grounds. And that was, again, that was Israel's, Israel's only win. Israel finished one in three. They lost their other three games. USA beat them by 41 runs in the opener. USA scored 126 and Israel was bowled out for 85 in that match and then israel lost to the netherlands and wales holland was in our our division you're right our, our, we were rained out you're right I remember so that. yeah and the reason yeah part of the reason why usa and wales and sri lanka ended up on equal points was because everybody only played two games or three games in sri lanka's case they only played two games the israel match they forfeited so sri lanka only actually played two games one of their games was washed out usa's match against the netherlands was washed out so it meant sri lanka wales and usa were equal on points but sri lanka advanced to the knockout stage on net run rate and then in terms of the other groups denmark went undefeated in their group with and canada finished in second place so canada and denmark advanced from their group which also included bangladesh Again, if you think about it, Bangladesh, 1979, finishing below Denmark and below Canada, can't beat those teams in their own group. In a group that also included Fiji and Malaysia, you you would be blown away if somebody told you that would be possible <laughs> today in 2021. I don't think Denmark went into the competition, though. I think Canada went in. I don't think Denmark went in, did they? No, yeah. So, so uh-huh. the other group. So, so it was four teams advanced to the knockout stage, and Bermuda was the other one. So, in the, the other group, Bermuda was grouped with East Africa. Again, at that point in time, Kenya and Uganda played together along with Tanzania as East Africa as one team. So, Bermuda topped East Africa, Papua New Guinea, Singapore, Argentina. I always thought it was good cricket. It was solid cricket. You know, best teams went through, in my opinion. You know, so I think it all played out. You know, fair. And the other thing about that point in time, too, is, is the strength of the Americas region. Again, it was very, very strong in the mid-2000s when you had Bermuda qualifying for World Cup, Canada still qualifying for World Cups, USA going to the Champions Trophy in 2004. And back in the 70s, yeah, the four teams that advanced to the knockout stage, Sri Lanka beat Denmark by 208 runs in their semifinal. And then in the other semifinal, it was Bermuda versus Canada. So Canada beat Bermuda by four wickets, chasing it down a target of 182. And it was Sri Lanka and Canada who advanced to the final of, of the ICC Trophy in 1979. And both teams, like you said, advanced to the World Cup. Sri Lanka beat Canada by 60 runs in the final. And again, you mentioned Dewey Mendes before. Dewey Mendes top scored in the final with 66 in the victory over Canada. Now, coming out of that tournament, you're 21 years old. You went to Alf Gover's cricket school. Alf Gover is a legendary figure in in coaching circles in English cricket. Alf Gover didn't have a a lengthy career himself, but within English cricket, he's he's revered for his impact in terms of developing players. And you got a, a chance to be part of that. Now, was that before or after? That was before the ICC. That was before. I think my first exposure to the U.S. team was in 78, and I played against Canada in Staten Island, New York. That was that was two years before that. 
So before you made your you made, before you made your one day debut, you played in the Audi Cup match, the multi day match against Canada uh, a year or two earlier. Going to the Alf Gover Cricket School, tell us about that experience. What was that like being in England as an American around all these English kids? Peter, it was a great experience. Uh, my dad thought that I had become what he said in his was a big fish in a small pond here, and I need to get out in the open waters, right? Because I thought I could play anywhere. But I couldn't. And um, I was there and uh, he's, my dad sent me there for six weeks. Uh, I ended up staying five years. And the reason that transpired is because there were uh, what I what I saw were Australian great cricketers going there and trying to get picked up by the championship. And this guy went to watch this bowler. He wanted to recruit him, but he saw him me bat against him and I got recruited from off overs to my club side and uh and in, 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 within a story camp and I was there for five years. And uh but the Alf Gover's cricket school was was good. Alf Gover didn't coach me, his son did. Of course he was there with wearing his England jersey. It was cool to meet him. Very, very, very cool to meet him. There was all these captains from the championship looking for Australian great players, but I got recruited by uh one of these captains and then played at Banstead, where Rory Burns comes from, same club. Ben said this isn't Surrey. So again, Alf Gover's cricket school. He was a Surrey player, played many, many years for Surrey. He took over 1,500 wickets in his county cricket career. He only played four test matches for England, but he was a mainstay on the county cricket scene for many, 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 many years playing for Surrey. And now you said you played for Banstead. And you also played some uh, county cricket, some second 11 county cricket in the stats I found on Cricket Archive. You played for Worcestershire in the second 11 in, in 1980 and i know you you said you also played uh in and around surrey and what was the attitude i guess within your own change room whether it was worcestershire or somewhere else and kind of the opposite side of the field when people realized they were coming up against an american <laughs> that's a good story and stuff i had a tough time playing with the minor county team because there were three-day games there were 100 overs and i didn't like that i remember telling my dad I, i'd call home i said i don't my dad i did that for my dad i like playing one day cricket i'm a one day guy and i didn't i just i didn't adapt to it very well and i underachieved I think, I think my highest score was 25. I'm sure you did a year research. Maybe not even that. But, you know, I got six months there. They saw what I had. They saw my talent. But I never I never achieved anything. And I always found that the, the type of play difficult, very difficult. Something that you have to adapt and get used to that I couldn't do. Well, you managed to stick around for five years on the club cricket scene. So how did, how did you manage to have that sort of durability? <laughs> I did. Five years. Um, I was nervous. I played in the championship. I played with some good players there, but the standard was truly, truly better. It, it really was. And um, I was lucky because the first game I played championship was a friendly game on Sunday. On Sundays, we played against friendly sides, you know, people in different counties, Kent, Sussex, you know, Middlesex and those counties. And, and, the, and the very first game I played, all these kids were going through my bag, wanting to see what American looked like, what American looked kind of kid you know was in my bag they were really giving me the well you know they were just going through everything you know and i went out there and the first ball i faced i got i got bold the very first ball and i remember walking off thinking i just want to call my dad because i missed my flight i said dad i want to come home but the guy that recruited me he played for durham which was, was a, a minor county team back then I remember rubbing my head he said just take it easy the guy went right through me i never seen pace like that it went right through me and he said, he said, just play yourself in. You know, you can do it. 
And when I walked off that game, everyone's, I think the captain split them up. They were all gone. And I think when, when he recruited me, I think the board of directors thought he was he was crazy. Why would you bring in an American? They thought he was he was crazy. But my second game was the league game, and I scored 60, 60, 70 runs. And when I came off, they all attaboyed me and, and just grabbed me, and that, that was pretty cool. Um, I was accepted. Um, and I ended up playing five years. Yeah. What made you come back then? My dad, there was more upside to my game. And I played five years uh, in England. I was scoring hundreds all over the place. And I just decided I have I plateaued and I wanted to come back home. I had no interest in playing county cricket. I had no interest in making a living playing cricket. I had built myself into a really solid, in my opinion, uh, in my dad's opinion, good solid cricketer. And I did five years there. And that was, that's why I was there, was to elevate my game. And I could play against anybody, anywhere, anytime. And I wanted to come home. I wanted to play league cricket back home in LA. Today's edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket is also sponsored by Musa Cricket Stadium, the first and original turf wicket facility in the state of Texas, located at 5515 McKeever Road in Perlin, just five miles off the Bailey Road exit from State Route 288, a half hour south of downtown Houston. Musa Cricket Stadium includes fully enclosed locker rooms and change rooms, plus shower facilities after a day's play, as well as outdoor nets for all your training needs. Aside from the main turf stadium ground, there is now a second ground at the facility open for use. For more information, call 713-534-2195 Musa Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas. One of the things you talked about earlier was the fact that you played cricket before you played any of the other sports locally in Southern California growing up. What else did yes. you play? What else did you play growing up in Southern California? And what was, I guess, the main drawing power of cricket that made you want to play cricket ahead of other sports competitively, whether it was in high school or, or beyond? Peter, it was, it was in my blood. I remember when I went to go to my dad made me sign up for baseball and I said, I didn't know how to play baseball. I could play cricket. I was fielding and running around and, and I was batting in the nets. But my dad wanted me, he signed me up for, uh, it was T-ball. <laughs> I was nine years old. And I remember my dad, We all the kids were playing catch with their dads and my dad didn't use a glove. He used his hands. He didn't know anything about baseball, but he just wanted me to play baseball. So I remember just throwing the ball to him. I was embarrassed because he wasn't wearing a glove. And I didn't know what hand to put my glove on, to be honest with you. But my dad, he got me involved in baseball. He made me play, and I didn't understand it. Being the, I'm the first son from my mom and dad, being from England, and uh, all I knew was soccer and, and cricket. That was all I knew. And uh, it went from there. You've got a Yankees hat on, a Southern California boy, born and raised in, in the Los Angeles area, and you've got a Yankees hat on. What's going on there? Oh, man, Peter, I don't know. Uh, I like the Yankees. I've always liked the Yankees. My dad liked the Yankees. He liked Dickie Mantle. He liked the Penn Stripes, and I've always been a Yankees guy. I don't know. I like so, the Angels, too. So you're a fan of Mike Trout and Shohei Otani? Oh, I love Mike Trout. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Otani's going to be the best thing since Mike Trout, really. Mike Trout is a Jersey boy. Mike Trout has got all these state records in New Jersey where I grew up. Mike Trout, Mike Trout was a big deal in, in high school baseball down in South Jersey. Uh, near, near, he, was, he was on the Jersey side of the border with Philadelphia. Now, a, Yankees, a Yankees fan growing up, 77 World Series. As a teenager in, in, in L.A., were you getting beat up being a Yankees fan in, in Dodger territory? <laughs> no, I wouldn't wear the hat, so I was good. 
Because I mean, this is a huge Dodger town. You know, even if you're an angel guy, you don't wear an angel hat because it's, it's not going to go down well. Even nowadays, I don't think it's easy for an American playing cricket, whether it's whether it's in the U.S. or or abroad in England. And one of the, the great stories that you told me, and I nearly burst out laughing when you when you told me about this, the greatest crime you ever committed on a cricket field, having an American accent. Yeah, 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 yeah. The league knew that Banstead had an American, so they knew who I was. When I would play away games on, on Sundays with the different counties, you know, they walked in wickets and they go, you know, we can't work out your accent. And and they just couldn't work it out. We said, we think you're South African, but you're not right. That's not quite right. Australian, not quite right. Where are you from? And I, I would say I'm a product of Southern California cricket. I'm, I'm an American cricketer. And they would just go, they'd go crazy. They couldn't believe it. It's funny because when I would have really good games, they were so interested in me and how I learned how to play and, and you know, my background. When I had a bad game, they go, well, he's American. He doesn't know how to, he doesn't know how to play. You know, to date, that goes, that goes the same way. I went to Barbados two years ago, and I was on the plane with an, with an Australian team, and they, you know, they, they heard my accent. They said, what, are you a supporter? I said, no, I play. <laughs> you know, so I think the accent, yeah, the, the biggest, um, my resume would be complete, would be solid if I just had, in my opinion, a cricketing accent. Yeah, I, um, I've always wanted an English accent, but I don't have one. Did you find it tougher to fit in in cricket overseas in England, or did you find it tougher to fit in in cricket in Southern California, having an American accent? No, in England, the English are the are the. Um, are the individuals who are, you know, when England team, English subs would come here, they'd say, well, you, you couldn't, you couldn't do that what you do in England. And I go, I do it all the time. You know, the English sort of critique me more. Uh, I always find the West Indians, the Pakistanis, the Indians, they love what I bring to the table. They don't care how I speak. You know, they don't, even the Australians, but the English are the ones that uh, give me a hard time with the accent. Although, on that plane in Barbados, they were that was an Australian side. But I always find the English give me a harder time with my accent. Yeah, my my friends in England wanted me to go out there and be silly and just say, well, so how do you do this? You have to take a guard. You know, do you have to do this? Do you have to do that? You know, I was going. I would never do that. I could never ever ever. That was on our friendly game, like during cricket week and stuff, not during league games. And um, I could never do that. I was, but I, I was. I wouldn't say ashamed of my accent, but I never talked much. But after the games, they all wanted. If I if I scored a hundred, they all wanted to talk to me. They all wanted to know where did I come from? How did you learn how to play like that? You know, this, that, and the other. You know, and so the English sort of uh, gave me a harder time than the other countries. Australians, uh, I got offers to play in Australia with in the great cricket, and uh, they love me, you know, and West Indies, I have, yeah, just the English give me a hard time. Did you feel like you were treated almost like a circus uh, freak show or a zoo animal in that sense, <laughs> where they were kind of incredulous and you belonged more in Barnum and Bailey than you did on a cricket field? Sometimes, sometimes, yes. <laughs> And particularly when they knew us, when they would hear me speak, you know, and they knew I was American, then they would sledge, and they, I, I was getting an earful. Yeah, I got that. I played against the old, uh, the old uh, England team, and I hit Freddie Truman for two sixes. He was giving me the hardest time being an American, and he couldn't. He, he said, you know, I don't play against Americans, and this and that. And he bounced me twice. I and I, I'm probably the only guy living to hit for two consecutive 
sixes. I got mad in the match in that game, and he went. He just we walked up to me because I don't know where you learn how to play, but well, you, you can bat, laddie. That's what he told me, and um, he never bounced me again. Now, and that was back in '79, '78, and that was the Banstead. So um, that was pretty cool because they, uh, the old England Eleven, they had Fred Titmus, you know, they had Harold Rose, they had Freddie Truman, they had Roy Sweatman behind the stumps, they had Brian Close, who I caught. Um, they, they had a lot of good players, English players. That was that was very very cool, particularly when Freddie Truman came at me. You know, he he came at me, and and I I said, you know what, you can call me what you want, but don't drop it short, because <laughs> I can I can play quick bowling, even though you're 42 or what he was back then. You know? What was the most memorable part of playing in England for you? The experience playing in English condition, learning how to play against good solid cricketers playing in the championship um i thought i was a good cricketer in california but when i did my five years in england it really really developed me theater i can talk cricket i can play cricket i just can't speak cricket <laughs> but i but it made me into a solid it did it made me into a solid cricketer i was scoring hundreds all over the place and uh that's when i came home and i brought new Lescari over there you know, Neil Ashkari, who played for the U.S. team, I brought him over there to my club. It, it was an experience. I learned how to play cricket in England. That's what developed Did he get treated differently, or did he get the same kind of American treatment that you did? Because, again, he's, <laughs> he's, he's somebody who, born in Leeds, but basically moved to California when he was six months old. So he's born, he's essentially grown up all his life in Southern California. And oh, my goodness. His, you, do your re- you do your research. I do. That's and yeah. you know, his, his dad played his dad played first-class cricket in India from Gujarat before coming to England and, and the U.S. So he's got Indian roots, but he's, you talk to him, he's as American as apple pie. Was he getting the same treatment that you got? Uh, you know, the Truman treatment, I'm not playing against this American, or, or did they treat him a, a bit more respectfully? No, no. They gave it to me. They treated him more respectfully. <laughs> Neil was a beautiful bat, and instead of looking for another Australian guy to recruit and bring over, they asked him if he had any friends, and he came over, and they treated him with the utmost. I got it. <laughs> he never, he didn't get it. He was a beautiful bat. They couldn't believe that they had two Americans who could play like me and Neil, and they were so happy. And you can call Banstead. They will tell you all about me and Neil. I'm sure you, it wasn't just you that they were having this attitude. It had nothing to do with being an American. It was just you in particular that they were going after? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure, but I just took it like a man. I just took it. <laughs> Now, you, you played in the 82 ICC Trophy. Again, you were in the USA squad for that event. USA did not perform nearly as well in that event. That was an expanded competition, the 82 ICC Trophy. And in that event, after Sri Lanka had been given test status and moved out of the ICC Trophy competition, the team that basically rose up and filled their kind of role as the preeminent associate was Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe was in USA's group in that tournament, and Zimbabwe topped the group along with Papua New Guinea. It was Zimbabwe, Papua New Guinea from one side of the draw, and Bermuda and Bangladesh who came out of the other side of the draw in a 16-team tournament. USA finished with just one victory out of the seven games that they were supposed to play. It was a heavily rain-affected event. USA had three matches abandoned, but in the games that they did wind up playing, USA was only able to come up with one victory. So you guys didn't really come close to qualifying for the World Cup in that tournament. What do you remember about that experience in 82 compared to 79? 82, um, um, it wasn't disciplined. I didn't know any. All the guys from New York, 
in 79, most of the guys were from L.A., and we were there to win. We wanted to win. And in 82, they were, it was just, it wasn't disciplined. Guys were just running around doing their own thing, and it wasn't, I didn't want to be there, to be honest with you. And, and we were losing every game we were playing, yeah. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a good place to be. The only victory USA had in that tournament was against Israel. You guys beat Israel by eight wickets, chasing down a target of 158 in 32.3 overs. You got hammered against Canada in the rivalry match. You guys got blown out by Canada quite convincingly. In the other matches, you didn't really cover yourselves in glory either. In terms of the composition of the team, this is something we hear about a lot in modern times, definitely through the 2000s and early 2010s, the cliquish nature of USA cricket and regional factions. Again, the 79 team was predominantly Southern California guys and university cricket clubs specifically. 82, you said, was more New York East Coast dominant. Cameron Khan out of Philadelphia was the captain of that team in 82 after Anil Ashkari had captained the team in 79. Were these kinds of issues obvious in the team bus, in the, in the dressing room? on the field? I mean, was it something where you guys just compartmentalized and you went out and played cricket? Or was it a genuine issue in terms of lack of cohesion, lack of chemistry, where guys just really were not on the same page? The problem with that team is that nobody knew anybody. Nobody would talk to anybody. Nobody trusted anybody. I felt like I was playing against the opposition on my own team when I was on that team. Um, I didn't know what they were here for. I didn't think some of these guys were any good. It wasn't well, a well-developed team. It was just, um, we weren't there as a team. We didn't train together. We didn't work together. To me, that was a, a problem and an issue, and it showed in our results. This is something that's a historical issue in U.S. cricket, lack of cohesion, lack of chemistry. Going back to your your time 39, 40 years ago in that squad, even even nowadays, it can be argued there is still evidence of that existing today. What do you think is the solution to fixing that historical ill? Well, I, th- I think what they're doing today is fantastic. Because in my day, you didn't have under 13s, 14s, 19s, you know, cricket. You didn't have these premier practices that we have today. And once you get your team together, you play together, you get together. I like that. That's very important to build a, a very good side. In my day, you had to make the zonal team. And then from the zonal team, beat the other zonal team. And you had to stand out. You didn't know who you are playing against. And then once you were done, it was over. You need to keep a U.S. team, get your guys together and keep them together and work and practice. We didn't do that in my day. That's why the 72 team was not as good as the 79 team. And the 79 team was probably worse than the 64 team. I don't know. But you need to have cohesiveness. You need to have guys that play together, work together, and train together. And I think the U.S. team is doing that now. And I love these guys that you know they're playing for the team now the U.S. team. I, I like where we're going, and I think it's fantastic. The coronavirus has sort of put a hamper on things a little bit, but I like what we're doing. I like the direction we're going in, although we're not where we want to be. I understand that. I know that. I know you're quite involved in playing golden oldies cricket, not just in Southern California, but you mentioned you, you've been on tour in quite a number of places around the world. Why do you still play cricket and what keeps you your inter- <laughs> what keeps your interest level in the game that makes you want it to keep turning out year after year after year Peter's in my blood and if I didn't I mean I, I'm, I'm still going out there and if they drop it short I'll hook them I can put it you know I, I hook them and pull them well I play up my back foot really well people are still worried about me and um, if I can bring that to the table um, I'm gonna go out there and play and I'll keep doing that uh, I'm 63 
I think I got seven years left, and then, then it's, it's going to take a dip. I know that, but uh, I can still do it. So I'm out there. I'm going to, I'm going to keep playing. I'm going, I'm going today after this interview. I'm going to go to the cricket. Time for the favorite 11. Before we get to that, today's show on the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast is presented by Dream Cricket. The Dream Cricket Pavilion Shop can help you fill all your cricket kit requirements from top-of-the-line English willow bets made by all the top manufacturers, as well as helmets, gloves, pads, jerseys, highlight DVDs, books, and more. Get 10% off all orders over $400 using coupon code DCUSA. That's DCUSA. Go to shop.dreamcricket.com to take advantage of that offer today. Dream Cricket Academy is located at 400 Apgar Drive in Somerset, New Jersey, just a mile off of Exit 12 on Interstate 287. For more information, call 908-938-3787 or email cricket at dreamcricket.com. John Reed's favorite 11. Here we go. Your favorite roommate on tour, whether for the U.S. or in Banstead or going on Golden Oldies tours, who is your favorite roommate to have on a cricket tour? Oh, that's easy peasy. Neil Lashkari. Another American cricket legend, Neil Ashkari, two Southern California boys. Neil Ashkari was a great was a great guy to open with. He was we were complete opposites. He's a left-hander. He would never get out, ever get out. And um, I could play my game the way I wanted to. He was a great guy to bat with. Your favorite New York Yankee? Aaron Judge. You're gonna go back, Mickey Mantle. He's my all-time favorite player. Your all-time favorite, Mickey Mantle. Okay, Mickey Mantle going way back, yeah. but. Amongst the modern-day players, Aaron Judge. That's way back, yeah. Aaron Judge, yeah. All rise. Oh, I, I, like, I, like, I like Mike Trout. Yeah, I like Mike Trout, though, too. What do you bring to the table? I'm becoming an angel. If you were building a franchise today, who would you start with, Trout or Otani? Mike Trout. Mike Trout, still no Mike Trout. Guy. The $400 million man. Can you have a word with him and tell him to, to, to throw a few uh, pennies over to the cricketers? <laughs> he should. I mean, and if he played cricket, he'd be, he'd be a great one. So he should, you know? I don't know. Okay. If you couldn't be a cricketer, which sport would you have most wanted to represent USA in? Baseball. Now, what position would you play? What position did you play when you did play baseball? I was a second string catcher, and I was a center fielder. And I was very good, actually. I I, uh, I chose cricket over baseball. I, I just felt... I'd go to high school after cricket, and I had I feel so good. When I had a good baseball game, I didn't care about it, you know. So cricket was in my blood. So cricket was my sport. But if I didn't, if I couldn't play cricket, it would be baseball. What is the nicest or the best cricket ground experience you've had as a player or traveled around as a fan? Brockton Point, Vancouver. Stanley Park. That's Don, one of Don Bradman's, if not his his favorite cricket ground in the world. B- beautiful scenic That's facility right. in Vancouver at Stanley Park. It, it is fantastic. It, it's the most beautiful ground I've ever played at, and I've played there a few times. Beautiful. No comparison to, any, to anywhere else. Your favorite place to eat out on tour or outside of Los Angeles? Not a specific place, but Indian curry. Love my curry. I got that from England. Of all the places where people fall in love with curry, I hear that quite often. It's it's in England. They get their favorite curries in England. That just fascinates me. Best curry houses on the planet are in England. There's no doubt. Your favorite pizza topping? Ooh, good question. Canadian bacon pineapple. Not just regular bacon. Canadian bacon pineapple. The ham and pineapple. The Hawaiian. Are you going for the Hawaiian? Yeah. Canadian bacon pineapple. The modified Hawaiian. <laughs> If I have a date, they won't eat it. So I love it. I have it all to myself. 
Are you a Coke or a Pepsi guy? Pepsi. Oh, dear. You got the right one, baby. So you're Ray Charles on the piano in the 90s getting you Pepsi. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Your favorite cricketer of all time? Gordon Greenwich. And why Gordon Greenwich? I have always wanted to be like him and play like him and be like him. I couldn't be like Viv because he was just a freak. <laughs> he was, no, nobody could be like Viv. But Gordon Greenwich was, I was an opening bat and I've always tried to pattern my game. And Greg Chappell. I like Greg Chappell too. Great chapel and Gordon Greenwich. Your favorite non-cricket athlete. It doesn't have to be Mike Trout. It doesn't have to be Mickey Mantle. It can be from another <laughs> sport. Who's your favorite non-cricket athlete of all time? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Johnny Bench. Johnny Bench. Yep. Famous catcher from the Big Red Machine. Why, why Johnny Bench? Now, you say you're a Yankees fan, and you've got all these Angels players you love. What's the genesis of the Johnny Bench love affair? Well, my dad had season tickets, and the, when the Big Red Machine was playing, they were just awesome. And uh, my dad had season tickets at Dodger Stadium. And I just remember seeing that number five behind the plate, and uh, I just, well, I was in awe. I just thought, and I saw him hit like two home runs in that game, and I always thought, wow, man, I want to be like him. That, that'd be great. I don't know if you remember either, but in right field, Bobby Tolan. This is, this is on the Reds. They had a guy... And the Reds, yeah. Bobby Tolan. I always liked uh, what he brought to the table. I tried to bat like him, too. So they've been my two favorite outside cricket guys. Johnny Bench, Bobby Tolan. Your favorite movie of all time? Mm, the Punisher. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a movie guy, so, but I like The Punisher. <laughs> Last one. Your favorite show to binge watch, whether it's on Netflix or Amazon Prime or... Paramount Plus, who any streaming service or any DVD box set, what's your show that you can sit and watch for hours and hours at a time? The same one, The Punisher. I watched, I was watching like five episodes of that the other night at my daughter's house. Um, wait, wait, what else? Oh, wait, wait. Um, yeah, The Punisher. <laughs> He's my go-to guy, I guess. Nothing wrong with that. So thanks to John Reed for coming on the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast. I'll give you the final word. Anything you want to say about why you love cricket, your role in U.S. cricket over the years in terms of your contributions to the game or, or just anything else about cricket and why you continue to be attached to it? Love cricket. Love being an American who plays cricket. And I love that the cricket is excelling in America. And I'm very, very proud to, uh, to be part of it. I'm part of history, I think, a little bit. I'm just very proud where it's going. I'm happy that um, I was part of it. Well, thank you, John Reed, for coming on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. Peter, anytime. Oh, what a wonderful guest John Reed was to have on the show. He still loves his cricket day in, day out. Goes on those Golden Oldies tours, and he's a diehard out in the Southern California cricket community at Woodley. A treasure to have as part of the fabric of the American cricket community. That's all for today's show. Again, thanks to everybody who supports the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast on Patreon. By all means, if you haven't already joined, join now. There's different membership levels to show your support for the podcast and associate cricket reporting in general. And I'd also encourage everybody to share and subscribe to the podcast, whether on YouTube, on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you name it, wherever there's a podcast, give us a good review or any review for that matter. And that is greatly appreciated. Until next time, I'm Peter Delapena reminding everybody, God bless America and God bless American cricket.